For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the words of the Lord. Uh, Father, it is a blessing and a privilege to call you Father, and we ask you now that you would speak to us from your word. Would you help us not only to understand your word, but to allow us to experience your loving care for us as your spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. May those who are here today who have maybe never personally known you as a loving father or have a hard time knowing you as a loving father, would they see you for who you truly are today? And may we all leave this place with a renewed sense of your love and your purpose for us here at Castleton Community Church. Speak, O Lord, for your children are listening. And all God's people said, Amen. It is hard to put a price tag on the amount of human suffering that people are experiencing right now. This is a quote from the United States Surgeon General in May of last year, and it's not a reference to any of the suffering related to any of the current wars or some rapidly newing, uh, rapidly spreading virus, but he's referring to an epidemic of loneliness in America. The Surgeon General's report stated last year that about half of U.S. adults reported experiencing measurable levels of loneliness in the last year. The report goes on to warn that the physical consequences of a poor connection or loneliness can be devastating, including a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, and a 50% increased risk in developing dementia for older adults. Maybe some of you here today find yourselves identifying with this epidemic or are close to somebody who is struggling with loneliness or a deep sense uh, that they don't belong. Maybe even over the holidays, uh, this pain was particularly acute because of a loss either in your family or just a strife you see in your own families or not having a family to gather with. So what is the solution to this growing epidemic? Well, the remedy put forward from the Surgeon General's office, including the following suggestions. They suggested you answer a phone call from a friend. You invite somebody over to share a meal or find a place to serve others. I think all of us would generally agree that these measures are positive, uh, good things to do, and many things that we love to do here at, at Castleton for one another. But I would argue that these virtuous activities don't address the heart of the problem. I would contend with you this morning that the heart of the battle with loneliness is not fundamentally a problem of activity, but rather a problem of identity. The world has told us that we can create our own identity. If we just remain either true to ourselves or even reinvent ourselves, then we will be fulfilled and be filled with peace 
and purpose. Yet, statistics are showing, and I think observation would tell us, that people are becoming more and more unstable and more empty every year. And that's why, as Christians, we must not look to man's solutions, but God's solutions. And when we turn to God's Word, we see that God, our Creator, offers a firm foundation for our unsteady souls. Instead of leaving us to create an identity of our own making, He gives us an identity, one that fuels deep relationships, brings true security, true belonging, and gives us a sure hope for our future. We'll see today in God's Word that the good news of Jesus Christ in the Gospel is not only a declaration that your sins are forgiven, but also the assurance that you are an adopted son, an adoptive daughter of Almighty God. And for those who are given this identity, they are granted all the privileges and all the security and all the assurance that comes with being part of God's family. So this morning, I want us to think deeply about our spiritual adoption I think is an often neglected aspect of our salvation, and see why it is good news and why it matters for our fellowship here at Castleton in the coming year. If you're taking notes, we'll be examining uh, God's beautiful design of adoption by answering three questions as we look primarily at the text that was read in Romans, but uh, I'll be drawing from other passages as well. Question one, what is the good news of adoption? Number two, What are the privileges of our adoption? And we'll run through about four points under that point. And then number three, how should we respond to this good news of adoption? And my prayer this morning is whether you're feeling close to the Lord or you feel isolated and lonely, that you would know today in deep measure the glory and the privilege of our adoption in Christ. And then in turn, we would live with a renewed purpose, a renewed hope that can only come from a loving Heavenly Father who made us and has adopted us into His family. Before, uh, again, I begin into answering some of those questions, I do want to provide you just a little context uh, to the passage that, we, that was read from Romans 8, since we haven't been in that book. Uh, this passage comes at a point in Paul's letter where he has been rehearsing all the blessings that come from those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are justified, not by their works, but through faith in Jesus. What are some of those blessings he's been rehearsing? Well, for example, Paul tells us that we who are justified by faith, they have peace with God, Romans 5.1. That they are united with Christ, Romans 5.17. That they are dead to sin, that sin has no dominion over them, in Romans 6. That they are set free from the law of death, free from striving to earn God's favor through law keeping, and that's in Romans 7. And then in Romans 8.1, he tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning that those who trust in Christ, our lives are not on trial anymore. The verdict has already been announced. God the judge has swung his gavel, and he's declared that we who were guilty of sin are declared not guilty and righteous in God's sight. Not on account of our own merit, but through the merit of someone else, right? The work of Jesus Christ, his only son. And if you grow up in the church, that's good news, and you're probably familiar that this is the doctrine of justification. It's an essential doctrine of the church, one that Martin Luther said the church stands or falls on this doctrine. Yet justification brings about this courtroom sort of image 
And while certainly a necessary picture of our salvation, it doesn't really give you the whole the warm and fuzzies, right, in a courtroom setting. It's not the whole picture. It's one picture, but it's not the whole picture of what God has done for us in Christ. And that is where this familiar language that we read in our passage is so important. Paul in Romans 8 and following explains that we are justified by grace in order that we might be brought into a right and close relationship with God. God does not just forgive us, declare us not guilty, and then send us away to fend for ourselves. But rather, He provides us a new home, a new family with God as our Father and Christ as our brother. And we see this glorious blessing of our salvation expressed as the good news of our adoption. Again, which brings us to our first question, what is the good news of adoption? And here's my working definition. Adoption is the act of God the Father bringing justified sinners into His family by His grace and bestowing upon them the full affection, privileges, and inheritance that comes with being in God's family. I'll read that again. Adoption is the act of God the Father bringing justified sinners into His family by His grace and bestowing upon them the full affection, privileges, and inheritance that come with being part of God's family. Again, you see this familiar language back in our text, this familiar language of the gospel and our adoption in our text. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit are called sons of God, did not receive a spirit of slavery, but received a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This language of adoption for Paul's original audience, uh, they would be able to connect with it. It's not, it wouldn't be foreign to them. Because uh, in Greek and Roman culture, uh, a man without children would often legally adopt either a servant or another male, most commonly an adult rather than an infant, in order to pass along the family name and his property. And the moment the adoption was finalized, the man would be given a new name and legally guaranteed all the rights and the privileges that a natural born son would be given. Furthermore, uh, Paul was probably also drawing uh, upon this, this term sonship, is most likely referring to the way that God has often spoken of his relationship to the nation of Israel, which again includes obviously both men and women. Uh, this picture that Paul is drawing from helps us explain, helps us to see what happens to all of us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We receive a new name. We get a new family. We get a new identity. We see the Gospel of John affirm this plainly in John 1, 12-13. He says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, unlike our adoption process in our time, the process of our spiritual adoption involves no waiting, no religious or government red tape, no forms you got to fill out, you no know, fees or penance you have to pay. All those who truly trust in Christ as Lord for the forgiveness of their sins are immediately brought into the family of God. Yet, while our spiritual adoption required no cost on our part, we know that it came at great cost to God. Right? In order for us to be adopted, He had to give up His only Son so that we might be called His sons and daughters. And this is important 
Because this means that those who are adopted into God's family are not brought in by accident. It means that you are wanted, that you are loved by God. It means that God chose you not because he was obligated to do so or because you were the best looking baby in the orphanage. No, but because he loves you and he set his affection on you even before the foundation of the world. That's what Luke uh, read earlier in, uh, in the service, Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It's important for us all of us to understand that no person, no matter how long you've been a Christian or when you got baptized or how long your family heritage of faith goes back, no one is a natural-born son or daughter of God. The Bible teaches that we were all born outside of God's family and away from the presence of God. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it really starkly. It says that we are all by nature children of wrath, meaning from birth we are under the wrath of God because of the sin nature inherited from our first father, Adam. And we confirm this with our own complicit actions. It's in this miserable state that the love of God is revealed to us in the good news of the gospel. And that's why the reality of our adoption is such good news. The gospel announces that Jesus has made it possible for us to no longer have our identity tied up with Adam. That was not a great family. It was not the family we wanted to be in. But to be adopted, Jesus, through his death on the cross, adopts us and gives us a new identity, a new family name, a family name in Christ. This new identity of son or daughter of God is truly at the heart of what Christianity is. Uh, J.I. Packer, uh, giant of the faith, and in his book, Knowing God, he says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If you see Christianity as just a set of rules uh, to adhere to or to have your guilt assuaged each and every week, you've missed the heart of what God offers in the gospel. God doesn't just offer a way to be forgiven, but he offers a new identity and a new family. Which means that in this world, we are never alone. In Christ, we objectively have a family of brothers and sisters who have been brought into God's family by faith. Therefore, each Sunday ought to feel a little bit like a family reunion as we gather together and remember what God has done and that we are not alone. Now, again, I don't know what your family reunions look like, but think positively. This is a great thing to be able to come together and remind one another of what God has done for us. And for those of us uh, who are here today who, who don't have a family, or maybe you're here and you're, all you can think about is maybe the grief because your family is either away or no longer with us, this morning, our Father in Heaven wants to tell you that He knows your pain and in your pain, he draws near to you and he reminds you that he sent his only sons so that you could be connected to a family of brothers and sisters who are called to love you and to share the grace and love of our Heavenly Father with one another. What is this good news of adoption? It is God, by his grace, welcoming undeserved sinners into his family 
by faith in Christ. And as we dwell upon what it means to be in God's family, the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see the privileges of our adoption, which brings us to our second question. What are the privileges and benefits of our adoption? Uh, many of you know I was adopted as an infant. Uh, I was born to a single mother who, for reasons still un- unknown to me, were, she was moved to give me up for adoption. The Lord, in His grace, placed me in a home where I had loving parents uh, who loved each other and loved God, uh, who took me to church, shared the gospel with me regularly. They sacrificed a whole lot to send me to Christian schools and supported me through all my extracurricular activities set me well up for college and beyond, uh, and gave me a picture uh, of a loving family and a loving father. Now, you would imagine with a story like that, that I would be the most grateful child for all the privileges and, and all the blessings and advantages the Lord provided me through this, my family, you know, compared to what I could have experienced. Yet I remember still to my shame and my chagrin, uh, I remember grumbling often because of what I didn't have, specifically comparing where my parents would or would not take us on vacation or what my parents would or would not buy me for Christmas or for my 16th birthday as I looked at my, my peers uh, and compared these blessings. Even for someone whose life is clearly marked by grace at every point of every moment, even before I was born, it was still difficult to see the privileges and the blessings that God had given me. And I think, similarly, it's easy for Christians to be so accustomed to our inclusion in God's family that we fail to appreciate the glory and the wonder and the privileges we have as sons and daughters of God our Father. So I want us to just Think about some of those today. What are some of the privileges we receive from God by nature of our adoption? And first, we have a new spirit. Look again at verses 14 to 15 again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Remember, before we were adopted, we lived with a spirit of slavery being led by the desires of our flesh. We were slaves of our sin, following its demands. Now, we weren't as bad as we could be, but we all served a different master. We served ourselves and ignored the voice of our Creator. But at the moment of our conversion, we received the greatest gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the privilege of having God's permanent presence with us. With the Spirit... We no longer are slaves of sin. We no longer had to live with the fear of judgment or being overwhelmed by sin because we were given a new spirit, the spirit of adoption. And we see evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we no longer feel at home in our sin, but rather are led by the Spirit to evict sin from our lives. Many of you remember very vividly loving sin and being comfortable with your sin. And then when you met Jesus, sin didn't feel as comfortable anymore. You didn't feel at home with that anymore. That's the Spirit's work in your lives. And that is what is meant to be led by the Spirit in this context in Romans. The Spirit leads the sons and daughters of God to put to death old patterns, old habits of sin that belonged to your previous family. 
We were once sons of disobedience, following the prince and power of the air, but now we are sons of righteousness, following the son of righteousness, the prince of peace. Now, I want us to be clear that in verse 14, when it says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, Paul's not inferring some sort of transaction that's happening, or that you need to earn your adoption status through some sort of law-keeping, but rather that the putting off of sin in your life and walking with Jesus is evidence that you belong to God. You won't do so perfectly, but you can walk with Jesus truly. And when you do so, you are displaying evidence of your new identity as an adopted son or daughter of God. When you want to kill sin in your life, that is not a natural feeling. That is not a natural sense. That is a gift from the Spirit and is also an assurance that you are His. Flowing from this privilege of our new spirit is also the privilege of a new relationship. So what's another privilege? We have a new relationship. Look at verse 15 again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Those who are adopted have a new spirit and are given the privilege of a close relationship with God. So close is this relationship that we call Him Father. Uh, in our text, Abba uh, is the Aramaic word for Father. It's the word that Jesus uses to address uh, God in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a title that uh, isn't formal. Uh, it's more like our English term for Dad. It's a term of endearment. It's a significant term that uh, signifies a close relationship and that we can call with confidence out to God as our father, as a dad. Uh, if you've ever talked to a family who has adopted maybe an older child, they'll tell you how significant the moment is when their son or daughter finally felt comfortable calling them mom and dad. Those terms, we know, are not throwaway terms. They acknowledge the close nature of their relationship. I remember a few years back uh, sitting, uh, sitting down with uh, a family and hearing a young boy ask his soon-to-be stepdad if he could call him dad. And you can imagine, as he heard this, uh, that was not a, a throwaway question. That was one that had deep significance. It's not just a title that he wanted to call him, but it was a sign of a deep relationship and confidence that this boy now had because he knew that this man loved him, loved him like a father. Friends, your heavenly father invites you to call him dad. Now, not everyone gets the privilege of having a close relationship with their father this side of heaven. But our heavenly father invites us, invites his children to call him father and to do so with confidence, knowing that he will not turn his face away because he delights to hear from his children. Now, to my chagrin, I was thinking even just yesterday, uh, I think some of my kids were asking me questions, and they're like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, what? What? That is not how our Heavenly Father responds to us. When we call out Dad, when we call out Father to him, his ear is bent towards us. Uh, he is not uh, overwhelmed uh, by your requests. 
He delights to hear your request. God, our Heavenly Father, wants you to know how much He loves you and that you would know His love and His affection for you. With this new relationship, this privilege of this new relationship also comes with it a privilege of security and assurance, which is our third privilege. We have a new security or a new assurance. Look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, Before we were adopted into God's family, we were insecure, ruled by fear. Fear of judgment from God, fear and judgment from others. Living in fear of wondering if we'd be accepted, or if that even if we had been accepted, that we might be rejected. But when God brought us near through the blood of Jesus, we were given a home, a home that is secure and gives us a true assurance of our salvation. This passage is telling us that we don't have to wonder each morning if God loves us or if He's going to somehow change His mind and by letting us in His home and kick us out if we don't measure up to His standards. Rather, through the Spirit's witness, we can be assured that we are truly God's children. Now, the big question is, what exactly is this inner witness of the Spirit? How do we understand that? It's not, it's not easy, but I think the Scriptures give us enough to go on. And I was helped greatly by Pastor Drew Hunter and uh, his exposition on this text when he explained that the inner witness of the Spirit is a deep sense of affirmation in your heart that you are God's child. It's not just our own claim that you are a child of God, but the Holy Spirit of God has given us. He's testifying with our own spirit that we are truly God's child. And I think we're actually meant to think of a courtroom again, right, when we have two witnesses, right? Not just one witness, you got two witnesses, both yourself, your, your spirit bearing witness as long as with the Holy Spirit's witness saying, yes, you are a child of God. Now, to be clear, I don't see evidence in the Scriptures that this witness of the Spirit is an audible voice uh, that comes to us, either in, in a dream or sporadically throughout the day, but rather the Spirit gives us a deep and true sense that we are in God's family. I think when we read the words uh, of God our Father in the Scriptures uh, and hear Him speak to us in, through His Word, as we fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we walk in obedience. This testimony of the Spirit tells us that God does not want us to wonder about our standing with Him, right? It, we would say it's a pretty not healthy family if the children are always wondering what their dad thinks about them or whether or not they're, they're wanted. No, God, by His Spirit, tells us that He wants us to have assurance He's not trying to hide his affection. He wants us to know that we are his and that he is our father. The, the whole book, if you have time uh, this year at some point, the whole book of 1 John helps us to understand uh, our assurance in Christ. Just he- hear this from 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When we are adopted into God's family, we have a security, an assurance that ultimately then in turn gives us a hope for the future. Which brings us to our fourth and final privilege of our adoption that we see in this text, that we have hope for the future. Uh, Look with me at verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I remember uh, probably seven or so years ago, I remember going to a Marion County courthouse to witness a judge legally finalize an adoption uh, for a dear friend of ours. Uh, He and his wife had adopted their their first child. Uh, They had already taken this precious uh, baby girl home, but she was not legally and finally a part of her their family. Uh, they needed a judge to make it official. And so with this backdrop of a, of kind of a, a dingy courtroom and squeaky seats, kind of, we're sitting there, we're watching this all um, go down. Uh, there's you know, a bunch of court semantics and procedures that need to be completed. But then at the end, the judge, I thought, asked a very profound question. He turned to them and said, do you understand that this baby girl will now receive any inheritance from you as if she were biologically born to you. They, of course, nodded, and the judge finalized the adoption, legally granting her not just a new name, but the legal right to an inheritance that comes with being their daughter. It was an amazing moment to reflect on, because at one moment... This little girl, just moments ago, was set to inherit nothing, with little hope for her future. Then in an instant, guaranteed to her was an inheritance, and much more than money, but more importantly, parents who loved her and would share the gospel of grace with her, the inheritance of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, when we get adopted into God's family, we become legal heirs of God our Father with Christ, heirs of God who made heaven and earth. So when you think about it, kids that are here, or you know, maybe you're um, you're thinking about, okay, what am I going to leave to my leave to my kids, or what am I going to inherit? Right, you inherit what your parents own, uh, all the things that they have. Well, think about it. If God is our Father, what does He own? Well, he owns everything. I think we just hit the jackpot. Uh, there is nothing that he will withhold from us. We who were once set to inherit nothing but death away from the presence of the Lord are due and due to our sin are now set for life, set for eternal life. In the courts of heaven, we are legally set to inherit an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us in Christ. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will be the kings and queens of the earth under God's rule and reign in the presence of our Heavenly Father forever. And what will this new future we are set to inherit look like? We'll look down just real quickly at Romans 8, 22 to 23, and we get a little sneak peek. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Those who are adopted are set to inherit a new body, a redeemed body, untouched by sin, never to decay or fade away. And I know many of us are very much looking forward uh, to that inheritance. We have a bright future that is secure, waiting for us to inherit. Our adoption is sure. It is legally binding in heaven, uh, but we have not received everything yet. It is the, the finality will come uh, when our bodies are redeemed and the earth is redeemed and shared with us 
as we reign with, with Christ. Now, I want us to uh, just take a second to think about this, because this has come up uh, a number of times uh, in, in ministry, where I have seen Christians, unfortunately, fight over earthly inheritance more than I would have liked to have seen. That this side of heaven, anytime I've done a funeral or, or I've seen, uh, been to one, there's always these rumblings of that there's something going on in the family. They're jockeying for certain possessions or certain things. Christian, that ought not to be so. If we are set to inherit the earth, everything that God has, what are we doing? Grumbling about stuff that's going to pass away, stuff that will fade. May we be people who truly believe and trust that everything will be ours in Christ and that we set our hopes, not on the things of this world, but the things of heaven. As we read these passages, both in 17 and later in uh, Romans 8, you probably noticed that while the guarantee of our future uh, inheritance is sure, uh, but before we receive it in full, what must happen? It says we must walk the same path of Christ, the path of suffering. Uh, one of the clear signs that we are children of God is our willingness to share in Christ's sufferings now, believing that the suffering of this present time will not be worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Uh, for some of you who maybe have adopted children, you know that while adoption is an amazing privilege uh, to be a part of, it often includes much suffering. Uh, it is a sign that something uh, is broken. And Christians, we ought not to be surprised when we experience suffering as a child of God. It is not as though the God the Father has left us or anything like that. But when we look to Jesus, we see that that is what our brother Jesus experienced. He first endured suffering and then received glory. And so we too suffer because either our battle with sin or the effects of this fallen world, we must bear the reproach of Christ. All the while knowing, just as Christ did, that no suffering comes to God's children that is outside of our Father's sovereign, loving hand. He is with you in the sufferings as He was with Christ and is using it even now to make you more ready to enjoy your future with Him forever. So what is adoption? It is God, by His grace, welcoming undeserved sinners into His family by faith in Christ. What are the privileges of our adoption? We're given a new spirit, a new relationship, a new security and assurance, and also a new future. And finally, I want us to consider how we then ought to respond to this good news of adoption? How should we respond? Well, first, as I said earlier, I think we ought to build our identity on the good news of adoption. I do a lot of counseling as part of my job, and some of the common themes that I see uh, over the last 10 years is that it's so easy for us to see ourselves and to judge ourselves, judge our value through where we've come from or what we do or what we have done or haven't done, or what people say about us. Many of you, I know, are deeply scarred because of your own earthly parents uh, that maybe have not measured up to the love that God would call them to to share in you or with you. Or maybe that you have struggled all your life to believe that you were wanted and loved. But the good news of adoption tells us that you are wanted and loved. And God's love is not fickle. It does not waver. But the Bible tells us that it is steadfast and endures forever for all who, have, who call God Father. And God proved, if you're wondering, like, how do I know that I'm truly a child? 
the Lord sent his only son into the world that we might become his sons and daughters. And with an identity built on the love of our Father in heaven, we can live as people who are secure in Christ. We don't have to live for the approval of man or live seeking for validation from others. Why? Because we have already been approved by God in Christ. Let's stay rooted in God's word. Let's keep fighting the lies of the devil and trust that your future is secure in Christ. Second, we ought to respond to this good news of adoption by seeking to reflect God's adoptive love to others. One of the core values here at Castleton Community is the core value of loving community. We want to be a people who reflect the love of Christ to everyone who comes through those doors each Sunday. And every Sunday, my hope would be that we have a mindset that there may be somebody who visits who doesn't know the love of a father in heaven, and that God would choose you and you'd be a willing participant to show them a glimpse of the love that you have been shown through your adoption in Christ. One of my favorite things to hear, uh, I know it's Tommy's as well, my favorite things to hear is when I hear stories of people in our church welcoming one another into their homes, taking visitors out to lunch, seeing members sit next to people that I know they don't know uh, just so that they can have somebody uh, to sit with. Um, I, all these acts of love that, we, that I see us do each and every Sunday, they're helping people understand that this is a place that they can belong and that the Lord welcomes them, welcomes anyone who will come to Him uh, in faith. And my prayer that we'd be a church that seeks to show this biblical hospitality continuously, that we'd be generous with our time and welcome any new face that comes into our fellowship. Another way I think we can reflect this adoptive love of the Father is, is by supporting organizations that are invested in the care of orphans, uh, or even also supporting families who are in the process of adopting or fostering. Uh, you probably saw this on the way in, but there's a bunch of baby bottles on the table out there, and that's, uh, we've done this every year uh, to support uh, the ministry of life centers. All those proceeds go to helping families who are in crisis and often children uh, who don't have a father present. Um, I can also share with you, in addition to our supportive life centers, um, we as a church are looking specifically for more specific ways to support families, both in our community uh, and su- support people in our church who may feel the Lord calling them uh, to reflect the adoptive love of God through the ministry of adoption and foster care. And I would love to see our church be a church Um, That supports that, that we have a culture of adoption as we support one another as the Lord leads and as we remember our spiritual adoption in Christ. Again, let's be a people who don't take God's love for granted, but seek to show His love to all who uh, interact with the family of God has brought into our church. And I, I don't want that just to fly off your ears and just kind of, just think about it. In your own family, like the way in which you see God oftentimes is how you were treated by your own, by your own earthly father. And so just, just imagine the, the weight of that, but also imagine the, the chance and the opportunity that we get to be able to t- teach people about our Heavenly Father and that your response and your love truly matters to them. And then lastly, uh, if you're someone who is here and you, f- you feel alone or you feel separated from God, you don't feel that love uh, of a father, Um, The way that you should respond to this message, this good news of 
adoptive love is to simply receive it. God wants you to know that you are wanted. And God welcomes all into his family who come to him in faith. And if you come to him in faith in Christ, you will be granted all the privileges, all the security, all the assurance of a bright future with God. And I would ask you, where else can you find assurance like that? What other privileges have you see out in the world? What other identity can bring that sort of security and satisfaction? I know the stock market won't do that. I know other places, your job, any other identities that you find will not provide the security that come from God the Father calling you His child. Again, if you have never trusted in Christ, I pray that today you would come to faith in Him. Because Jesus says, all who come to me, He will never cast out. Come to Jesus and receive not only forgiveness for your sins, but receive a family, a family with God as your Father and Christ as your brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is, again, to call you Father, and we come to you with confidence, knowing that you hear us and you love us in Christ. Would you grant all your children this morning the assurance and the peace that comes with being a son and daughter of God? And for those who may be here who are not in your family, would you help them to know your love and would you give them the gift of repentance, the gift of faith, and the gift of your Holy Spirit this morning? Make us a church that walks in a manner worthy of our family name that we've been given, putting to death our sin and living as secure children of God, looking forward to the day that we will spend eternity with you forever. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to, at the table of, of God, Lord, would you help us to be assured of your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.